Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. It's definitely a bloody Friday on Wall Street across the board right now, okay? At least as of the time of recording this podcast, the Dow is at least down by 500 points at one point and 4% within the last three days. That's how much the Dow has fallen within the last three days by 4%. So it's not been a fun couple of days in Wall Street in general right now. Now, granted, there has been other events that have been talked about, which is causing this to happen, like the fears of recession and how Wall Street's preparing their portfolios for a recession. But at the end of the day, sometimes fear can be a great buying opportunity. This isn't financial advice. I'm not going to give you financial advice in this podcast, but there's just always someone out there, like I've always said, who's probably taking advantage of these opportunities. I mean, I personally wouldn't be surprised if some of the greatest investors like Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger are buying up stocks right now currently. And like I said, this isn't financial advice, but Sometimes people will, when there's fear in the streets, people will be greedy. And then sometimes when there's too much excitement, people get greedy when there should be fear. So I guess right now, this is like a psychology effect we're witnessing on Wall Street right now. But some news that we can talk about today. First off, we have some news from Goldman Sachs, and they're planning to cut people from their jobs currently. What does that mean for Goldman Sachs going forward? Okay. Elon Musk is in the news as well. Again, Elon has been in the news a lot this week, but this one in particular has to do with Tesla. And what does this mean for Tesla going forward? Then BP is in the news as well. After earlier this week, where we had talked about in our previous podcast, how the government agencies of the United States were saying that BP wasn't doing enough with green energy. And yet BP is actually investing millions in a company for green energy solutions. Okay. And then, the, and then another thing we got to be able to talk about, apparently right now, the East Coast is dominating when it comes to imports right now, where the West Coast is losing. And we'll talk about why that's potentially happening as well. And the last thing we got to talk about is how the US and China chip war is starting to ramp up just a little bit more, okay? And like what I always says, what that could result in should this chip war ex- escalate, okay? With that being said, I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form. And everything I talk about on this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Please go talk to your professional advisor as they would understand your financial situation a lot better than I would. I legally cannot give you financial advice in any way, shape, or form. And this podcast is for information, entertainment, and education purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing as you're not always guaranteed to make money in the stock market. And I could be completely wrong about anything I say on this podcast on my thoughts about this. So with that being said, let's begin today's podcast. Goldman Sachs is planning to cut up to 8% of employees in January. Okay, from CNBC, Goldman Sachs, the storied investment bank, plans on cutting up to 8% of its employees as the grid as it grids for a tougher environment next year, according to a person with knowledge of the situation. The layoffs will impact every division of the bank and will likely happen in January, according to the person who declined to identify speaking about personnel decisions. 
That's ahead of the upcoming conference for Goldman shareholders in which management is expected to present performance targets. The New York-based investment bank typically pays bonuses in January, and it's possible the layoffs could be a way to preserve bonus dollars for remaining employees. The bank's planning is ongoing, and the round could be smaller than 8% when finalized, the person added. But that means that as many as 4,000 employees could be impacted as reported by Semi4 earlier Friday. Those who are considered underperformers or though or who are working in consumer businesses that are now being de-emphasized by the bank are at the risk of being terminated. Goldman Sachs has been in a hiring mode previously. The firm had 49,100 workers as of September 30th, which is 14% more than a year earlier. Goldman Sachs' David Solomon indicated that he was looking to rein in expenses at a conference for the financial firms last week. Quote, we continue to see headwinds on our expense lines, particularly in the near term, Solomon said. We've set in motion certain expense mitigation plans, but it will take some time to realize the benefits. Ultimately, we will remain nimble and we will size the firm to reflect the opportunity set. Now, this is a continuing on story right now that is being updated as we talk, and that's the latest news on this currently right now. But it's sad to think that people are still losing their jobs left and right. Okay, Remember, I think it was earlier this year we had read or we had talked about on this podcast that the U.S. government wasn't officially saying we were in a recession. Okay, And that's fine. They can say whatever they want. That's whatever they want to say. But I think they were still wrong at the end of the day. Okay. And one of those reasons being, well, there's more job losses now. Okay. We've talked a lot on this podcast this year, even before this, as the end of the year gets closer and closer. We've been talking a lot about a lot of job cuts that have been happening across the board. In fact, one of the reasons we started this podcast was I was let go from my job as well earlier in March due to supply chain issues that were happening. Okay. But, you know, job cuts keep happening, which means. Maybe we are technically in that quote unquote recession right now. And maybe Goldman Sachs is just trying to prepare because they just think there's more to come. I mean, you have some CEOs that are coming out saying that a recession's coming, the likes of Tesla CEO Elon Musk, and you have Jeff Bezos. Jamie Dimon said there was dark clouds coming. That's just a couple CEOs. Not many have come out, or at least not many have been reported as coming out as saying it. But it's it's just interesting to see that now Goldman Sachs is having to lay people off. Now, where these people go next is unknown, but at the end of the day, just more layoffs are happening. I mean, don't, don't I, here's the other thing too, which I'm going to find really interesting. In January, when the uh, when the holiday season ends, the job numbers report is probably going to be like the worst possible, okay? And the only reason I'm going to say that is because they're going to say, oh, look how bad these job numbers are. But in reality, there's a lot of seasonal workers, right? Especially in retail, because come January and February, retail kind of dies down a bit. And so retail seasonal workers end up go- disappearing. So pay attention to those numbers come January and February, which is only a couple weeks away when those job reports start coming up for the month of January. And they'll give you an idea of what Wall Street's currently thinking about for the beginning of 2023 and how 2023 could be looking. If they overreact, they'll it will be a bloody mess on Wall Street that day. So interesting thought to think about. But speaking of Elon Musk, okay, says Elon Musk sells another huge chunk of Tesla shares, okay? From CNBC. Tesla CEO Elon Musk has sold about 22 million more shares of his electric vehicle business, which were worth around 3.6 billion, according to financial filing out Wednesday night. The transaction took place between Monday and Wednesday of this week, according to the filings and Securities Exchange Commission. Earlier this year, Musk told his millions of followers on social media that he had no further Tesla sales planned after April 28th, according to the financial research firm uh, 
ver verified data, Musk has sold 94,202,321 shares so far this year, average price of $243.46 per share for pre-tax pro proceeds. That's approximately $22.93 billion. Okay. Director of Research of Verified Data, Ben Silverman, wrote in an email to CNBC on Wednesday, Musk prior sales going back to November 2021 were expertly timed. So Tesla shareholders need to pay attention to Musk's actions and not his words or lack thereof when it comes to recent sellings. However, he continued to sell portions of his sizable holdings in Tesla after agreeing to buy Twitter in a deal worth $44 billion. The acquisition closed in late October. Musk, who is also CEO of SpaceX, a major defense contractor, immediately appointed himself chief executive of the social media company. After Musk's Twitter takeover, he told employees there that the there that he sold Tesla shares to save their business. Musk didn't immediately respond to a request for comment. Tesla shares have been declining this year and sliding even further since he took on the new responsibility. Shares of Tesla closed down 2.6% on Wednesday at $156.80. $156.80, I mean, dropping the company's market capitalization of to 495 billion tesla shares are down 55 percent years a day as of wednesday's close you know <clears throat> elon is probably using this money to continue to save twitter and all honestly okay remember he came out with the blue check mark idea to save twitter everyone has been bashing him on it as well okay and people have been attacking him on his twitter platform for pretty much a while now okay there's new reports coming out too that apparently the the airplane incident that we had talked about of someone tracking him was not a good thing. And we're not going to cover that today because it doesn't really have to cover the market that much. But it's it's interesting that he's selling shares of Tesla. Okay. And one of the reasons I firmly believe he's doing that is he's, he's trying to get cash ready to either save Twitter. Maybe he's trying to get a project going on for SpaceX. Uh, maybe he's trying to do another event for Tesla in the making. But more likely than not, it's to either fund Twitter or SpaceX. Just my opinion at the end of the day. And it would seem like every time he makes a move like this, it tends to work out. Okay, And the only reason I say that is if you look at his track record of him being able to take money and invest it to grow businesses, he's been pretty good at it overall. I mean, he started a company that was bought up by PayPal. And then PayPal, he's, when he sold all his, his shares from that PayPal transaction, he then bought Tesla and then he took some of that to buy SpaceX. And then now he's bought Twitter, obviously. Elon knows what he's doing with money at the end of the day because he's a businessman. He's a business owner in some way, shape, or form. And like I said, I firmly believe he's using it to save Twitter at the end of the day. Now, whether or not that gets reported is another issue. Just our, we're just speculating here on this podcast. But he there's a reason why people sell shares. Okay. Now, granted, maybe it could also be because he had to sell certain shares. I mean, there's like some rule or something for how long you can hold on to shares or something like that. Or maybe he's just, like I said, doing it to save Twitter or SpaceX in some way, shape or form. Who knows? Probably someone will ask the question soon and he'll tell the audience why he's doing it when he's doing it. So continuing on now from the renewable energy sector. Okay. Earlier this week, we had reported that Washington, some Democrats, and I believe one Republican, maybe I could be wrong on that. Or was it? No, it was it was mostly Democrats. Now I'm remembering it now. They were there was some committee in Washington that wasn't too happy about the oil giants. And they said that they weren't doing enough in the green energy sector. Okay. And we had mentioned on this podcast that you can skew the data as much as you want to make someone look really, really good or someone really, really bad, depending on 
what you're trying to get your audience to understand. Okay. But now there's some news from BP and BP is doing a little bit more now when it comes to investing in greener energy. Okay. It says here from the sustainable energy sector of CNBC news articles, it says BP invests millions in company that supplies rapidly deployable solar tech. Okay. It says BP is investing 20 million Australian dollars, which is equivalent to 13.53 million in, I guess, US dollars in Australia, renewable company 5B, which specializes in solar technology. Energy major said its investment in 5B made via its subsidiary BP Ventures, wrapped up a Series B funding round of 55 million Australian dollars that has been co-led by Artesian and and the E and the correction and the AES Corporation. 5B's rapidly deployable solar technology enables fast, easy, low-cost solar in- installation, BP announced said. Australia firm 5B says its 5B Maverick system is a fully prefabricated plug-and-play solar farm in a box. It adds that each 5B Maverick array consists of 90 solar molecules mounted on nine doomed racks between 10 composite steel concentrated beans. BP says 5B had deployed over 60 megawatts of solar tech worldwide with projects based in Europe, Asia, South America, and the United States. Quote, the investment will allow 5B to expand further globally and invest in R&D, it added. Today's energy system is hydrocarbon system. CEO Bernard Loonley recently said that the BP strategy focused on stimulation investing in hydrocarbons and the planned energy transition. Quote, what the world needs more now than ever right now is a concert, uh, is a conversation and a series of actions that are involved in the uh, particularities and realities of today and tomorrow, Loonley said during a panel discussion moderated by CNBC Hadley Gamble in early November. Our strategy at BP, which we're executing in the UK, we're working on here in the Middle East, and we're doing it in the United States and across the world, is to invest in hydrocarbons today because today's energy is a hybrid carbon system, he added. Okay, I'll read that one more time. Our strategy at BP, which we're executing in the UK, we're working on here in the Middle East, and we're doing it in the United States and across the world, okay? Now, granted, people can probably argue and say that, hey, it's because of what Washington did that forced BP their hand to invest this week. Okay. I don't believe that. Okay. And one of the reasons being is like I had mentioned in past podcasts about BP in that article about the the government's statement about not doing enough for green energy. We had talked about how BP at the time was investing in in wind farms in the United States and solar panels within the United States. And they just back this up a little bit more. Okay. So it's continuing on to so speaking at the Adepec conference at Adu Dhabi. Lonely said his company was obviously trying to produce those hydrocarbons with the lowest possible emissions, whilst at the same time investing in accelerating energy transition. Quote, we're doing that in Britain. We're doing that in the United States. And we're doing it here. He said, name checking carbon capture, ve- electric vehicles, charging hydrogen and offshore wind. BP says it's targets net zero emissions by 2050. Achieving decarbonization possesses significant financial and logistic hurdles, most likely money if they're saying it's having logistic hurdles, okay? Earlier this month, the International Energy Agency said renewables were on course to overtake coal and become the plant's biggest source of electric generation by the mid of this decade. The IEA's Renewables 2022 reported predicting a major shift within the world's electric mix at the time of significant volatility and geopolitical tensions. Quote, the first truly global energy crisis triggered by Russia's invasion of Ukraine has sparked an unprecedented momentum for renewables, okay? The world is changing, okay? And a lot of times people will freak out over a lot of things, okay? But these companies like 
we've mentioned this now, need, they need the money and capital in order to invest in these projects. You can't just pick up an entire system and be able to build things out of thin air. It takes time to build these things. Remember, on average, it takes about three years to build a, a well on land in the United States, like one of those well, uh, oil rigs to drill on land, okay? It takes three to five years to build it in, in the ocean, okay? I can only imagine what it's like to have to build a wind farm, for example, on land or a wind farm in the ocean as well, okay? Things take time. Things take capital. And sometimes I I really wish people would look at both sides and realize like, hey, it takes time to build these things. And like I said earlier, with the government agency that said that BP wasn't doing enough, BP is doing something right now. I mean, soon I wouldn't be surprised if BP ends up buying out the company. This isn't financial advice, obviously, but I personally wouldn't be surprised if BP were to buy out the company. Then they'll be expanding their portfolio of green energy in Australia and more around the world as well. So BP is doing its part to help with green energy in the making. Okay. Side note, I forgot to mention too, I do have a long-term position in British Petroleum. It's a very small position, but I do have a position in British Petroleum. And this is not financial advice to invest in British Petroleum. We're just reporting the news on what we see here. Okay. But BP, like I said, is doing its job when it comes to potential green energy projects in the making. Okay. Continuing on now with the state of freight. And this article became really interesting to look at. It says, East Coast ports, including New York, are winning a domestic trade war at the expense of California. The official container count may, may not be out, but the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey telling CBC it will be the number one port moving the most containers in the U.S. for the fourth month in a row. Unresolved port labor negotiations at the AB5 trucking law, which concerns the employment status of drivers, have migrated trade away from the West Coast to the East Coast and Gulf ports, cementing what seems to be with each month a more likely permanent shift and benefiting not only the ports, but East Coast warehousing, as well as the two large railroads that service at the ports CSX and Norfolk Southern. According to IT Logistics, which monitors rail cargo trends, the volume of freight moving out of the East Coast doubled than the West Coast. Quote, that is port working extremely hard on making it the most attractive port for ocean carriers and cargo ships. Richard Cotton, the executive director of Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, told CNBC. There are a variety of reasons why trade is being diverted. But Cotton said the message in shippers and cargo carriers are sending is also about diversification. They don't want to have all their eggs in one basket. So they so that so what we are what so what we see is happening in terms of decline of other ports is much of that comes to the port of New York and New Jersey, he said. The Atlantic Ocean region volumes are high once again, as shippers continue to avoid the West Coast due to uncertainty of the IWLU contract negotiations, said Paul Brasher, vice president and of the ITS Logistics. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union and Pacific Maritime Association, which represents the terminals and ocean carriers, have been engaged in labor dispute for as much of this year. New York first top Californian cargo volume in August, while volume relays remains low on the West Coast, the elevated ocean dray of the East Coast started back in January when all the smoke around IWLU started, Rasher said. And honestly, we can't see the trends changing in 2023 until there's a resolution on the contract, he added. Okay. Now they're saying here that the East Coast ports are making major investment to help things move around smoothly. Okay. And they're saying that the West Coast has port declines. Okay because of these negotiations that are happening, okay? One reason, though, that this is happening too, okay? You got to remember, and we've talked about this in past podcasts, and I advise listening to some of those past podcasts as well. We recently reported that 
at least on this podcast, that there was more trade coming from Europe on the East Coast than there was from China, which comes from the West Coast, okay? China has been shut down for a while now because of their zero COVID policy. Now, China is potentially revamping up its economy in the making because of Foxconn apparently being able to convince the government that it needed to reopen its plant, okay? And at the same time, the President Xi went to Saudi Arabia to talk to their king pretty much about oil production levels to keep things level should China enter back into the global economy in the making, okay? Now, granted, labor unions and strikes could be another reason why the West Coast is not getting as much, okay? And like I've said in past podcasts, I still believe the ports are backed up in the West Coast side of things. But as long as China remains somewhat closed, the ports are not going to be getting as much from China. That's what it boils down to. And that's why the West Coast isn't seeing as much right now. Okay. I mean, when most of your stuff is coming from China, from the West Coast, that makes sense at the end of the day. Okay. And a lot of ports on the East Coast, they're getting stuff from Europe. In fact, there's been an uptick of cargo coming from Europe to the United States. And we reported that on this podcast. I advise listening to some of those past podcasts to be able to understand more of what's happening with the port situation, okay? But that at the end of the day, I mean, it's it's just what's happening right now. There's not as much coming from China and there's just a lot coming from Europe right now. That's what it boils down to. That's why the East Coast is booming right now. So, I mean, it's nothing that's special at the end of the day. But, you know, people forget things sometimes and we do our best to talk about things as much as we can. So, but speaking of China, though, okay, there's going to be more political issues coming up soon between China and the United States when it comes to the chip making industry. Okay, it says here from the politics side of CNBC, U.S. slaps restriction on Chinese chip maker and other companies over national security worries. Okay, the Biden administration said on Thursday it was severely restricting dozens of mostly Chinese organizations, including at least one chip maker, over the efforts to use advanced technologies to help modernize Chinese China's military. The 36 entities will face a strategic license requirements that hamper their access to certain U.S. produce, commodities, software, and technologies, including artificial intelligence and advanced computing and Commerce Department Bureau of Industry and Security said in a press release. The Bureau's latest action comes more than two months after the Biden administration imposed new curbs on China's access to advanced semiconductors. The new designation also takes aim at Russia linked entities supporting the country's military invasion of Ukraine, the agency said. The actions will protect the U.S. national security by squelching Beijing's ability, leverage artificial intelligence, advanced computing, and other powerful commercial available technologies for military modifications and human rights abuses, uh, says the Commerce for Industry of Security said in a press release. Quote, this works out this correction quote this work will continue as will our efforts to detect and disrupt russia's efforts to obtain necessary items and technologies and other items for brutal war against ukraine including from iran one of the companies added to the so-called entity list was yangti's memory technology corporations or ymtc a key chinese chip maker that had previously been added to the u.s unverified list another trade restricting designation Quote, I've long sounded the alarm on the grave national security and economic threats behind YMTC and other CCP-backed technology companies like CXMT and SMIC, Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement Thursday morning. YMTC poses an immediate threat to our national security, so the Biden administration needed to act swiftly to prevent YMTC from gaining even an inch of military or economic advantage, Schumer said. Hmm. I wish someone would ask Chuck Schumer in that regard when uh, the trade war happened with Trump, when he made that happen. 
I don't think Chuck Schumer was for it at the time. We'd have to look back on that. So just the thought that we just had. Continuing on, it says, Thursday's press release specifically about the 30 of the groups were being added to the entity list for activities related to their efforts to obtain U.S. materials in order to bluster China's military modernization. Four more we've added due to their significant risk of being involved in activities that could have a negative impact on the U.S. national security of foreign policy, according to the release. Another entity was added to its alleged involvement in China's human rights abuse and against Muslim groups in the Providence. I can't remember how to say this. I want to say it's Jing. I can't remember. Sorry, guys. Continuing on, it says, well, allegedly helping Iran's Islamic Revolution and Guard Corps obtain U.S. items. The Biden administration also said it has left some restrictions on a net total of 25 Chinese entities and successfully complied with the U.S. checks to verify that its exported goods were being used in a way the entities claimed, okay? This chip war is going to continue, okay? More companies are probably going to get added to this list. And we're going to continue pushing China and Russia potentially to get together, okay? And like I've said, now apparently Iran's on that list as well, okay? You know, I still believe, in all honesty, okay, if I'm a country and I wanted to get chips in some way, shape, or form, I would either get it from a neutral country or I would get a country to buy whatever parts I needed. And then I could just buy that from that country as well. Like I've said, remember the Netherlands has the machine that's needed to make the military style chips that I had talked about. And right now they're not going to sell it to China because Joe Biden has somehow helped with making sure that doesn't happen. But how much longer can a company like that just sit around? Or how much longer until they somehow get their hands on this? Okay. Remember, there's very few countries in the world that make chips. Okay. You have Taiwan that makes some. You have South Korea that makes some. You have China that makes some chips. You have Germany, I believe, was one. Netherlands is another. And I think, and soon the United States will be making more, but the United States does make some. There's one more country. I just can't remember which one it was. And then we know India's trying to get chips made in their country as well. Okay. And I'll keep saying this until the world understands it. Chips are becoming the new oil in some way, shape, or form, whether we like it or not. Okay. Now, what terrifies me is the more restrictions you keep putting on China to not have access to these chips. And I get it. It's for national security purposes. So we got to remember that. The more restrictions you put on it, the more likely Taiwan becomes a target for China at the end of the day. And like I've mentioned in past podcasts, it terrifies me the day. I mean, we've seen the effects of when Russia invaded Ukraine, the market just tanked that day. What's going to happen the day if that day ever comes where China goes to Taiwan to take it over? There's a lot of chips that are in Taiwan, okay, that are made in Taiwan, okay? I believe I remember correctly, most of them even come from Taiwan. Okay. I mean, we're pushing China into a corner. The the Biden administration is, okay, for these these bills. There will be consequences for it. It's yet to be seen and the market's eventually going to feel it, okay? But somehow some way, okay, I don't know how, but somehow some way China is going to figure out a way to get those chips eventually. They will, whether it's taking the island of Taiwan, whether it's getting the machine themselves or buying it from another country in some way, shape or form. Got to keep paying attention to these news when it comes with the chips, because it's not being talked about enough. 
And it is something that needs to be talked about because like I've constantly have said over and over on this podcast, chips are the new oil and things are going to get really interesting when that day comes. So especially when people finally realize that chips are the new oil. And like I've always said, this isn't financial advice. It's just the trend right now. It just seems like it oil, like oil in the 1940s during World War II is similar to the chips currently right now. Obviously we're not in a war right now. But chips are considered the new oil in the making. So I'll leave it there. That being said, thank you so much for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription helps grow this podcast. So we'll be able to keep talking about events that are happening on Wall Street or that Wall Street isn't or willing to be able to talk about at this time. We also ask too that you continue sharing with friends or family. As my fellow podcast listeners, you have helped grow this channel so much. And I thank you so much for continuing to help share our podcast with fellow, with fellow friends or family or even coworkers to help continue growing this channel. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. Thank you and goodbye.